Welcome to the Balance of Power Roundtable broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm joined as always by conservative commentator, analyst, consultant, Alicia Preston, and former two-term U.S. Congressman, Paul Hodes. Folks, we want to start out with kind of a surprise in the news emerging over the weekend, and especially as we record this on Monday. In a major surprise, Democrats are currently projected to be on track to actually gain two or three seats in the U.S. House of Representatives in the redistricting process when the redistricting process is all done. Now, this is by no means a done deal, but going into this process and into this cycle, all the experts were saying that Democrats, on top of all the headwinds that they were facing, were toast. They were going to lose five, 10, maybe even more seats that were winnable seats that were going to go into the Republican column. And now it looks like they are coming out ahead. Alicia Preston, what do you make of all this? There's a lot of factors going on. What's your takeaway? My takeaway is I take solace in something I've said about many issues on this show since we've been doing it, and that is that the system works. Look, the system works. There are court decisions being made that say you guys went too far. It's happened to Democrats. It's happened to Republicans. Um, We have a system set up in the Constitution where the people that are elected get to decide who their electors are. It's just what it is. It's a flawed system. Um, But it is what it is. Both parties, when they're in charge, when redistricting has happened, they they take way too far of a leap uh, to try secure either their districts or get themselves new districts or boost up their districts, both sides do it. And over and over and over again, well, not 100% equal because, you know, law doesn't work so black and white, but uh, we found that the judicial system with oversight over the system works when one party tries to go too far. And, you know, the Democrats have been crying for months now that this was unfair. It's going to lead to the sweep of the red. It's not. It's not because we have a system that at the end of the day, while flawed, does protect us from people going too far you know yes it's good news that the courts are working that's that's nice that doesn't solve the democrats problems the the fact that we might pick up a seat or two because of some successful court challenges to redistricting or because the dems themselves have been able to do a little bit of redistricting shenanigans in a state here or there does not um i'm afraid solve the fundamental a challenge for Democrats, which happens to be midterm elections of a first term president, something I know very well and painfully from my own experience running in New Hampshire for the New Hampshire Senate in Obama's first turn midterms when 60 Democratic congressmen lost their seats and there was a 17.4% advantage at the time perceived for Republicans. So, Uh, I'm not trying to diss on my fellow Democrats. I love my fellow Democrats. Booyah, that redistricting may pick up a seat or two. It doesn't solve the fundamental headwinds that right now, subject to change, uh, we seem to be facing as a party. I would just add that I, I guess I would break this into three points mostly in response to Alicia, although Paul, you're right. I mean, the headline, although we're going to talk about this and question this assumption in just a second, maybe the headwinds are, are, are beginning to ease off a little bit. But I, I, do, I do want to bring in three points here. One is that it's a good news story. And I'm not trying to be a typical Democrat and Eeyore this. It's like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's not so good. But, 
but the the fact remains that Joe Biden won 52.3% of the vote. Democrats at the congressional level also won more than half of the vote, and they got a, a pretty decent little little majority there, five seats. They got less than the majority that they would have gotten if congressional seats had followed the, the, the voters' partisan vote in each of the states. The fact of the matter is that if courts are right now ruling against further gerrymandering, it's just on top of the existing gerrymandering. Remember that the last time that this process occurred after the 2010 census, Republicans had just had a run through state houses. They controlled the process and they did a lot of, guess what? Gerrymandering. So at baseline, a lot of the maps already are favoring the Republican Party in ways that don't line up with the actual vote. You would think that if a party you know, gets like 70% of the vote, then they should get about 70% of the seats. If they get 50% of the vote, they should get about 50% of the seats. What you see in state after state, especially, especially on the state legislative level, is Democrats get about 50% of the vote and they get about 30% of the seats. So there's a little bit less good news here than meets the eye. Go ahead, Alicia. You want to jump in? I don't want to. Well, I don't want to harangue. Just it. number one, I think the assertion that only Republicans gerrymander is not only. I'm not silly, asserting that. I'm not asserting that. But go on. The other thing is, you're taking national numbers. You know, Biden gets 52% of the vote, therefore 52% of Congress should be Democrat. Or however, it's it doesn't work that way. Our forefathers set the system up so that Los Angeles and New York, I'm being specific aren't deciding every office in this country. It doesn't work that way. You can have a very red state and it represents only X percent of the population, but it's got the same amount of senators as California. And, you know, its districts are split up by a population for Congress. It's everything isn't a national election and it's deliberately set up that way so that major metropolitan areas, which make up what 15 percent of the country, but could ultimately determine every single election. They can't do that. I mean, the system yeah, granted, was very wise. Granted, granted, but that's not at all what's happening. Like in a state with like Wisconsin, where the vote is about 50-50, right? Like Tony Evers like ekes out the governorship with 51%. And then on the legislative level, again, it's about 50-50. Because of the Republican maps, the Republicans get 70% of the seats. I agree that there are going to be, you know, small differences depending on how the maps are drawn. But when you talk about these yawning chasms of difference that are clearly just because of the way the maps are drawn, you know, it's like the analogy here is that Republicans get to set what the starting blocks in the race are. And they put themselves 50 yards out ahead. And then they say, well, it's easy. If, if you want to control the rules, just win the next race. But you're starting 50 yards ahead. But anyway, I, I just want to also point out that you're right. Democrats have gerrymandered in this cycle. I want to repeat that. In Illinois and New York, Democrats have gerrymandered in this cycle. Why? It's because they're not going to unilaterally disarm. Republicans would like nothing better than for Democrats to say, we really want commissions. Everywhere we've had the ability, we've put in commissions to try and make this not be a process controlled by the partisans, but we're going to just give up. So if we don't get a commission, you know, Go ahead, Republicans, do what you want with us. It's fine. They're not doing that in these two states. By and large, though, the reason that we're not seeing Democrats getting absolutely crushed here is because courts are coming in and they're saying, no, Republicans, really, seriously, you're going too far. 
and because commissions have drawn some maps. In several states, the maps that commissions have drawn, like Arizona, Iowa, Montana, the maps that are put in place because Democrats pushed for commissions are not favorable to Democrats. They're favorable to Republicans. So this is not a both sidesism. The final thing I'll say is I had the former Ohio Democratic Party chair, David Pepper, on Beyond Politics a couple of weeks ago, pointing out that this kind of thing doesn't happen by accident. It, I agree with you, Alicia, that the system is working to some extent, but it's working because Democrats have worked their butts off to make sure that they win races for Supreme Court districts in these, for Supreme Court seats in states where the Supreme Court is an elected position, which seems a little crazy to me. And they've actually done the, the work at the local level to try to you know, create the conditions so that there's a backstop and a safety net so that the system can work. If the system were left to its own devices, it would not be working so well. All right, that's it. My my harangue is over. Okay. Everyone is stunned into silence uh, by uh, my harangue. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's not both sidesism. And 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 you know, I mean, Alicia could point the finger and say, Oh, look what Democrats are doing when they have control. They gerrymander just like Republicans do. Ha ha, there goes you and your your independent and your commission business. Mm -hmm. uh, but frankly. The, it, the Republican approach to gerrymandering so predominates the political landscape that that argument falls on somewhat deaf ears. Well, the point mm -hmm. is that there are two states where Democrats have gerrymandered. Everywhere that they well, are, are you on record? There are only two states in the there United States of America in all of history. In all of history, there are two forever. states right forever. now that are badly gerrymandered, that are out of whack of the of the level that you the, what you just set up as the standard, which is they are badly out of proportion. Illinois and New York, the, the Democrats are in control there, and they've gerrymandered everywhere. They've been able to put in a bipartisan commission. They put in a bipartisan commission. And sometimes they don't like what the commission said. They've contested what the commission said in Virginia because they don't like the outcome. When Democrats have an opportunity to take it out of the hands of partisan elected officials, they've done that. When Republicans have had any opportunity, they have gerrymandered. There is not a single example anywhere in the country where Republicans control the process and they haven't gerrymandered to the absolute maximum extent. And the safety net is the courts who have occasionally come in in certain cases like North Carolina, where the decision came in on Friday, or Alabama or Pennsylvania or Ohio, and have said, okay, this is too ridiculous for us to even look at with a straight face. Every chance Republicans get, they gerrymander. So, no, this is not a, a both sidesism. There is a difference here. So, I didn't have a chance to do enough homework to know where you were going on this. So, I am going to, before I make any assertions here, I'm going to back them up first. And I'm going to go see that only two states in the United States of America have been gerrymandered for Democrats. And I'm also going to see how nonpartisan these third party efforts from boards of commission or whatever actually are and where they get appointed from. And I think we'll find there's nothing nonpartisan about any of it. I think that this is what sets this show apart from most of the blather that you hear on radio and on podcast, she because Alicia Preston is actually going to back up what she wants to say with real facts, not Kellyanne Conway alternative facts <laughs> with real facts. I will stand on record and say that in this cycle, in this cycle, Democrats have been in control in two legislatures and have committed a bad epic gerrymander. 
that is bad, that is a substantial gerrymandering. Okay. Right? <laughs> I will. I'm coming back next week. All right. We're, we're going to return to this. Let's move on just a little bit because Paul said a moment ago that this doesn't solve any of the Democrats' bigger problem, which is they're facing gale force winds in their face. But are they, though? Let me just run a few exhibits by the panel here and see if I can maybe change your mind. Number one, we have just seen huge jobs numbers in January and upward revisions to the jobs numbers in November and December, which suggests that the economy from a job standpoint has been absolutely crushing. Number two, epidemiologists are saying that we are facing a COVID lull over the next few months, and we are on the cusp of kids under age five being able to get vaccinated, which will substantially increase the number of vaccinated Americans and also help us to prevent further damage from COVID. Number three, we are about to have the State of the Union address from President Joe Biden, which traditionally produces a bump for the president's approval. Number four, the aforementioned redistricting process is going a lot better for Democrats than anyone assumed was possible a few months ago. Number five, Republicans keep shooting themselves in the face like Dick Cheney with a shotgun with stuff like legitimate political discourse. I'm going to set that one aside. We're going to talk much more about that. But they said that the January 6th insurrection was political discourse, legitimate political discourse. Hint, the use of the word legitimate in political discourse has not gone well for Republicans in the last 10 years, and it's not going well this time. And finally, Democrats now have an opportunity to focus the political discussion on their upcoming nominee for the Supreme Court. Paul Hodes, you are a former Democratic member of Congress. You have faced the voters in elections many times. Does it feel like the tide is turning here? Uh, <clears throat> it feels like somebody has lassoed the moon, which controls the tide, and is pulling heartily to try to pull the moon into a position to change the tide. But that has about as much chance as lassoing the moon to change the tide. In other words, you can take your facts and send them on a rocket to the dark side of the moon for all that it's going to matter in the upcoming midterm elections, at least right now. Now, lest you think I'm too gloomy, jobs, jobs, jobs. Oh, yeah, but inflation is still running ahead of wage gains. And I don't know about you, but when I go to the supermarket and there are only two checkout clerks available and long, long lines because nobody will take the jobs. I don't know what's going on anymore, but there's not enough staff around to do anything. People just simply have given up working. So the job reports are good, but they don't matter when you're going out to buy milk. Speaking of which, I just spent $98.91 on two bags of pedestrian groceries at the local Hannaford's. Now, I don't know about you, but $98.91 for two bags of some vegetables and, and, and some safflower oil is pretty expensive. So I think people are still feeling the pinch. Nobody, um, you know, COVID, maybe if COVID moderates, that will help people feel better. This is all about feelings. Da, 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 da. You know, so I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're talking about here, Matt, you can take your, your political facts, and just fly them to the dark side of the moon. It's how people are feeling. Now, the good news is that we may get some calamitous 
sensational stuff out of the January 6th committee. That's possible. Maybe Trump really gets indicted by Georgia or New York or somewhere and shuts him up a little bit in some cell somewhere. Now that that could change the tide a little bit. People might begin to wake up. On the other hand, he would become a martyr to the right and that would galvanize the right. All in all, I think your facts are are all right on. You are a smart guy. You have laid out the rational case. And that is the problem for political strategists for decades. They think that people are going to vote on the facts. Who cares about the facts? There are alternative facts. And in our messed up world where digital reality and physical reality collide, Who's to say that the digital reality created by Steve Bannon's 100 million Twitter followers isn't as real as the actual reality in which you and we live? I think we've actually gotten to the point where we've gotten so meta. I'm not sure what portion of that was tongue in cheek and what portion of it was not. But it did sound an awful lot like, I, you know, Alicia, I don't even want to turn to you because... I could see you smirking. I can see you over Zoom enjoying. It's like Paul, I think, was just doing a parody of what you were prepping to say. Go ahead. I'll let you say it. Well, actually, the first thing I want to say, because Paul mentioned grocery store prices, is this is a PSA for our listeners. I have never been a coupon cutter. I'm too lazy. I'm too impatient. And a neighbor convinced me to sign up for grocery store apps. Most of the major ones now have them and to go couponing with her via electronic app last Thursday. I went to a major grocery store. I rung up $99.98. I applied my electronic coupons right from my phone and it cost $34.12. My PSA is everybody sign up for your grocery store's electronic app. It actually saves you like 60% because we are in a world where inflation is so expensive that no matter what the Democrats telling us not to believe our lion eyes, it's it's too expensive out there to Paul's point or non-point or sarcasm. Mm, okay. You know what this reminds but, me of? Hang on. I'm checking my ha- I'm checking my Hannaford app right yeah, now. You know what this reminds me of is if you've ever read uh, Animal Farm, the George Orwell novel, I mean, he was the best uh, appreciator of what real what really happens in politics, the real dynamics of how it works. And you would have, you know, in, in the world of Animal Farm, The animals would make arguments about what they should do next. And then the forces on the populist side would get the sheep to go four legs good, two legs bad. And I just hear a lot of this over and over again. But 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 inflation, inflation, which is up 7%, most of which has been erased by real wages, which have gone up 5.4%. Oh no, but you can't give me numbers. Good gracious. Why on earth would we ever listen to facts? I'm going to throw back in your face, Alicia Preston Xanthopoulos, that you yourself were off to go do research on our last topic because you believe in facts. You believe in research. You believe that the reality of the world matters. And I think Paul is insane. I think he, talk about over the moon. I just shopped yesterday. There were plenty of checkout people. Prices are up a little bit on certain items and I do not feel like I have been wiped out. I know people don't like inflation, but we can't just ignore, yeah, jobs don't matter. Uh, What I will certainly admit 
And I think it's a good sign, Matt, that all the, the facts that you point out to taken together do point for some strengthening of the Democrats' position. In the end, Democrats are up against a significant historical imperative, um, which is a negative historical imperative that the party in power in the first midterm of a president loses seats. So I'm glad things are going better. I'm hopeful things will go better, but I'm not sure that right now we can say it's enough. Uh, and maybe we'll get something significant enough to change my mind um, uh, as the days go on. All right, Alicia, go ahead and jump in. You would like to pile on as well. I, I can would. take it. <laughs> well, now it's you this week. It's normally me. So this is good. Look, you know, you talk about facts, but the facts are going to be the ones that affect individuals. The facts for me and my household and my family have nothing to do with what economists say in Washington or what a jobs report says. It's great that jobs are being created. But when I go to vote, I can tell you right now, the household income in my home has not increased. The cost of living has increased significantly. We got a letter from Unitil telling us our, our gas and electric prices are going up 20% until May. That is a hard, tangible number. That is what, th those are the facts I'm going to vote on. Those are the facts most Americans are going to vote on. And I actually think you want to talk about where the Democrats are. I think if you guys keep up this narrative telling us that what we're feeling, seeing, witnessing, writing in our checkbooks isn't real, that's a huge strategic mistake on your behalf. But please keep doing it. As see, no, <laughs> but but I, I dispute your premise. No one is saying that that's not real. No one's saying that it's not in, in, in important. What I'm saying is that Every time you bring up, hey, you know what? There are a lot of jobs being created. Businesses are reporting record profits and people's, you know, the, your, your, your mutual funds, your, in, your retirement has gone up 20% over the last year. All of these things that are also part of people's day-to-day personal financial picture. And then you point out, hey, you know what? COVID numbers are coming down and they should come down even more because that's the way things are trending and there's going to be more vaccination and there's more things that are going to make people feel good. I just feel like you get a reaction, particularly from Republicans of mm, inflation, four legs good, two legs bad. And I, I, again, no one is saying inflation doesn't matter. No one's saying you can't feel, feel kind of bad about that. But what I'm saying is other things matter too. It doesn't erase all the other good things in the world. And I think there's a tendency, and Paul, I got to push back on you a little bit. I, I think there's a tendency, including from Democrats, to kind of say, yeah, I don't know. Inflation is pretty bad. And we just sort of throw into the memory hole, to use another Orwellism, every other positive fact as if it doesn't exist. And not just every other positive fact but every other positive that could make people feel good. So Alicia, I get it. Inflation is important, stipulated, agreed to. I'm just saying that there are other factors and a bunch of them are trending in Democrats' direction. Well, and you mentioned some of them in the lead up to this question, but you know, we got to look at the state of the union. A president usually gets a bump and that's great, but what's he going to say? He's going to say all the stuff that the rest of us aren't feeling. He's going to say the COVID numbers will come down. They're not down yet. They're coming down, but they're not at a point where we're recognizing vast difference. Will there be um, maybe some energy if we actually come out of the dark cloud of this 
pandemic? Absolutely. And there should be, I look forward to it. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the SCOTUS nominee, uh, unless Republicans are complete idiots and make a big Buffalo blue over this. I don't know if that's a word, but it just came out of my mouth. That should uh, be a word. It should be a word. I think it should, uh, unless they do, then it's not gonna, it's going to kind of be a, you know, not a big deal because it doesn't change the makeup of the court. And I, I don't think there's going to be a huge fight other than from some fringe Republicans, perhaps. <laughs> Uh, so I think a lot of it'll fall flat. I just don't think that there is a lot that can be done or said to uplift the masses toward the Democratic Party before November, uh, with the potential exception of coming out of the dark tunnel of COVID. And maybe I'm just the one place and not Pollyanna because it's gone on for so long. I'm just not feeling it. Well, Listen, I will say wait, that if there's me... a positive Supreme Court experience, that might actually make people feel good less fighting, more bipartisanship. But if what you're looking for is something to motivate the Democratic base and get them all fired up, nothing is a fast track to that more than a heavy dose of Trump. And we got one from the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee who wrote a letter trying to take down Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney last week and referred to the insurrection on January 6th as, quote, legitimate political discourse. And Alicia, I know we were talking right before the show and you were saying, you know what, don't yada, yada, yada that. This is a BFD, as our president would put it. We need to talk about that. What did you want to say about that? You know, there have been a lot of times over the past several years and even before um, Donald Trump and whatnot, where I questioned uh, being a Republican. Not because I don't agree with their policies. I am a fiscal conservative and I am a lover of individual freedoms and liberties. But because what do I want to be associated to? That was the first time, the very first time I sincerely considered very publicly switching parties to an independent because I want no association with it. I don't think we understand. Wow. I don't think they understand what they did. 150 plus police officers were injured. One was killed as a direct impact. Others were killed subsequently down the road in tertiary measures because of it. They stormed our United States Capitol, the People's House. I, I am actually enraged by this. This one really got me. And they did it. And because of politics, they want to dismiss, not rewrite history. This isn't revisionist history. This is a lie. To say this was a legitimate political discourse is a lie. And they're trying to propagate it upon the people to convince them, well, they're not that bad. Stand with us. And I don't know who they're supporting. They're not supporting Americans. They're not supporting we Republicans who are just regular folk out here who don't want our taxes raised and want individual freedom. Who are they supporting? They're supporting Donald Trump. They're using the power of our government and the power of one of two political parties to censure people duly elected by the people to deny what happened because they don't want it to look bad against one man. I've never seen this in this country. I've read quite a bit about our history. I've never read about it in our country. This one got me. And then I talked to a lot of Republicans over the weekend and I'm not leaving the Republican party because what I found is most of us are like me. Most of us were enraged, were incensed. We think all those people that voted to do that should be voted out of office. They have no business representing America and all she stands for. Wow, Paul, yeah. a few weeks ago on this show, you asked Alicia if she would ever consider becoming an independent because of this entire dynamic of kissing up to Donald Trump at the expense of the interests of America. What do you make of this? Well, the, the challenge for Republicans and Republicans of conscience is that the Republican Party has become the party of Trump. You can't say Republican without saying Trump. 
you just can't. Um, and and it's it's I, I understand the the tangle, um, the the philosophical, emotional, and mental tangle that it puts uh, people like Alicia in. But but that's a fact. Um, the Republican Party is dead. It's splintering, um, and the majority of the Republican Party apparently is still uh, the party, uh, the party of Trump. So that the the statement legitimate political discourse simply amplifies Trump's recent statements that he would issue blanket pardons to everybody who participated in the January sixth insurrection. My word, not his. Um, it simply amplifies the big lie. And sadly, for Alicia and others, the Republican Party is the party of the big lie. It is the party that is working on stealing upcoming elections. It is Donald Trump's party. So I, I don't envy Alicia, who cares about politics and principle and our country. I don't envy the difficult position she feels herself in. But she, her, the R after her name really ought to be a giant T at this point. Well, I'm sure that we are going to return to that topic. I, I'm, I'm very confident that we will. I have nothing more to say about it. I'll tell you one, one other area where people are not being given the opportunity to say much more. We have seen kind of a spate of cancellations of being removed from jobs and platforms in the last week. And maybe I'm overly connecting dots here, but I just wanted to ask both of you what you make of, we saw Whoopi Goldberg and her questioning of whether the Holocaust was based on race. We've seen Joe Rogan, which we talked about on our show last week, and the whole imbroglio over uh, his COVID misinformation, and now someone has released a supercut of his use of the N-word and questioned uh, the context in which he did that and whether there's ever any context in which he should be able to do that. We've seen the president of CNN step down over an in-office relationship. We've seen the attempted de-platforming and booting from the party of Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. So, do you are, do you connect these dots the way I do? Have we reached a point where, speaking of legitimate political discourse, the only move left we have in America is you come down, you don't get to be on the air, you don't get to be part of a party, shut up and go away. Is is that am, am I overly finding a pattern where there is no pattern here? I personally think each of the situations you mentioned are different, and I could discuss why each of them are different and and the situation unto itself, but overall, I'm completely opposed to the cancel culture. I think what Whoopi Goldberg said, whether I agree or disagree is irrelevant. I think it, these are things that are worthy discussions to have. If someone feels that way, let's discuss why she was talking about race in the color form, as opposed to an ethnicity and or a culture and or a religion. Um, I don't know if I agree with her or not, but I think it's a worthy discussion. Joe Rogan, he said the N word a jillion times. Does that mean you cancel him? Or are these such Spotify can certainly remove them their private platform. 
you know, Kinzinger and, and Cheney, these are all individually different things. But I think rather than canceling people, we should be allowed to have a discussion. And then the viewer, the listener, the voter gets to choose whether to watch, listen, or vote for those people based on these opinions. That's how it always was. If you say something that's unpopular or offensive to a Jewish person, Whoopi Goldberg, then maybe people stop watching you. Maybe advertisers pull out. There are things to happen. Um, the I'm going to suspend it for two weeks. That it, it, I don't get it. You either it, it's punitive, but you're going to have her back on the show, so her character's okay, even though it was a character flaw. You think she? I just don't get it. I don't think Whoopi should have been suspended. I think you know. And not again, because I agree or disagree with what she said. I just think we cancel things rather than have discussions. And when you do that, you have an uninformed and ignorant society. It's the same as book banning. Well, well, that's interesting. It, it, you know, I mean, a different way to, to handle it is uh, for public condemnation and for a whoopee to have to argue about it in public with people on her show uh, who take her to task for her off-center, off-base, inappropriate views. And um, that would be a different way of handling it. You know, the, the question is, 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 is the way she thinks so, so morbidly awful that she's removed from the air, or does it open a discussion? Um, and 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 who are now who is it? Is it too much censorship? Is it is it too much wokeness? Is it too much um, you know uh, knee jerk reaction? Um, it's the older I get, sometimes the slightly more tolerant I become and want to push back. I mean, the answer to, to Whoopi Goldberg is, duh, you, that was a stupid thing to say. Um, because if you, if you weren't, you know, Jewish or gay or a gypsy, uh, odds are the Germans weren't going to put you into the oven. So, so let's talk about facts. So I could get righteously indignant about it. I'd be happy to go on the air and debate Whoopi Goldberg with facts. So, you know, there's a, I think there's a lot to be said about a culture which is so reactive that it stifles political discourse. And if in fact that's what we've become, um, that does not, um, that's not necessarily the right, the right answer in, in, in many circumstances. I want to pick up on what you were saying about Whoopi Goldberg, and it's a it's it's a very interesting. I, I'm going to first say that I basically agree with both of you, um, and it's complicated in the case of Whoopi Goldberg because she was reflecting a confusion, a view that many people share. Now, it's wrongheaded. And it's historically inaccurate and it's pretty blind and deaf to the reality of ongoing anti-Semitism in our society and around the world. But there are many people who think that way. And I think that in her explanation of where she was coming from, she was saying that she was applying a certain amount of myopia. She was viewing race 
only through the lens of black and white. And that is, again, it's, it, it's a view, it, it's, it's an understanding of the world that many people have and share. And what she tried to say in her subsequent explanation was, this isn't coming from a place of hatred. It's not coming from an animus, it's coming from a, a view and an understanding which she later went on air with the head of the Anti-Defamation League and had corrected for her and, and had explained to her. And I think that's a, a healthy conversation. I also want to point out that the lead COVID reporter for the New York Times, Donald G. McNeil Jr., lost his job at the New York Times, essentially for a, a much, much smaller, different version, but a version of what has now been shown to have been happening with Joe Rogan. He, in a certain context, it, it repeated the N-word, asking a question, repeating back, it was used to him. This is something that was said on air. And he asked, oh, was this said in this way or not? And that later became grounds for him to lose his job. Paul and I have, feel that this is not someone who deserved to lose his job for that kind of a context. And we have been happy to welcome on, him onto the Beyond Politics show twice. And we are going to continue to be happy to have him on the Beyond Politics show. He doesn't have hateful views. He made a mistake. And I'm not excusing what Joe Rogan has done, but I think we've lost a certain ability in our culture to give people some grace and to give them the ability to change and learn and to say, you know what? I, I, I get it. We, we all screw up. Uh, I've screwed up so many times on the air. I can't even count them. I, I, I hope that if I ever screw up in a way that is egregiously offensive to someone that I would have the ability to offer an apology and someone else would have the grace to accept that apology. So I'm with both of you on this. And that's, that's really all I, I can say. I am not in favor of, of cancellation. I'm not in favor of people losing their jobs unless they're, they're truly coming from a place of, of hate and maliciously spreading misinformation in a way that harms people. So with that, one more question that I just want to sneak into the panel before we wrap up the show. Mike Bloomberg wrote on where else, Bloomberg.com, that the fact that Meta, that's the new company name for Facebook, they call themselves Meta because I guess if you're embarrassed about your name, you change your name. The fact that Meta lost 26% of its value, that's $250 billion in market value that they lost last week on news that for the first time ever, they had lost daily active users. Mike Bloomberg says that shows that Washington's getting it all wrong when it comes to taking on big tech. Their focus on monopoly and going after market power from some of these big tech giants is completely misplaced because competition is going to take care of it. Paul. What do you make of that? I mean, is the fact that Facebook is currently getting outcompeted by TikTok and Google and Amazon really good news? Does that show that the market is taking care of this itself? Look at the messenger who's delivering the anti uh, the anti anti competitive message. Okay, just look at the messenger. Uh, Michael Bloomberg is a gazillionaire 
who runs a huge empire and a conglomerate of many different huge companies. Is it surprising that he's saying, oh, let the market do it? To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, the purpose of government is to do what the market cannot or will not do for itself. Um, so I take Michael Bloomberg's statement with a grain of salt. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Facebook, that's Faceberg. what they should have changed their name to. Facebook. 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 It's in your face and it's sinking you. And it's sinking. It's an iceberg. It's Facebook. So Facebook may may have lost some, some of its market share uh, last week, but that does not obviate the discussion about uh, the anti-competitive and monopolistic nature of tech and what it, and what it's doing. So Michael Bloomberg, thank you. Wrap it up and good night. Alicia, your thoughts? Uh, you know, I have some philosophical struggles within, and that is that, you know, I'm a free market capitalist, and yet I'm pretty sure that social media is the devil incarnate and will be the demise of humanity as we know it. So when I have those two conflicting feelings, it's hard to weigh in. I will say this just on a precedent note, it is the only industry uh, of this kind of category that is not regulated. Everything else is regulated. Radio is regulated. TV is regulated. Broadcast is regulated. Everything's regulated. Um, Except guns. Except guns, because the Constitution says you're not supposed to. Well, I, I think, and then think, what about football? I, what about professional football? I don't think Facebook football? is in the Constitution, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, I think it's fair to say some level of regulation is fair. Uh, I don't want the government overtaking it and overstepping their bounds. And I'm not even sure what regulation. I'm not even sure if I believe in this. Like I said, I just wish social media was never invented. We'd all have a happier life. You know, look, so what, what's happened in the 21st century in terms of the, the rise of tech is a new phenomenon. It, it's a, you're right. It's a new phenomenon. But the notion of monop harmful monopolies and harmful anti-competitive practices by industries that have gotten too big uh, is nothing is nothing new. There's a robust and practical, practically applied body of law about it. Um, and it, the tech giants ought to be as subject to that practical application of a body of law as anybody else is. You know, I, I actually kind of I agree with you, Paul, and I, I kind of see what Mike Bloomberg is saying, which is, you know, like the Pentagon is always fighting the last war. And so you could see how he could be making the argument of, look, if you're trying to regulate them based on their market power for certain market services, given the pace of regulation in Washington, by the time you actually do something, then the market will have moved on. So you're, you're aiming at the wrong target. I get that. Granted, granted. Yeah, we agree on that. But that doesn't mean that Facebook isn't crashing into all of us and sinking our society. Alicia's right. They are, we are basically, Paul, Alicia, you're Leo and Kate, okay? And Facebook <laughs> is, is taking you down. And Paul, unfortunately, as the Leo in this conversation, you're going to end up drowning, man. And I mean, all of us are, are in this position where big tech, we know, we know from the internal Facebook files, we know from Francis Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower, that Facebook is truly harming our individual health and our politics and our society. And yes, they should be regulated, even if it's not on monopoly grounds. Mike Bloomberg, you're wrong. Facebook needs to be regulated. And 
on that note, we are going to have to sign off. Maybe the lifeboats will reach Paul Hodes and Alicia Preston in time. I'm Matt Robeson. We'll see you next time.